Hey everyone, welcome to Reformed Podmatics, hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. It's Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey, and this podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Reformed Podmatics. I am Pastor Mark. And I am Pastor Zach. And we thank you for joining us for this podcast episode that will continue our thoughts on the Christian Reformed Church of North America. Uh, If you haven't heard the previous episode, episode 21 of Reformed Podmatics, we would encourage you to check that out. In that episode, we addressed a few of the, some of the overarching issues that we see in the Christian Reformed Church, and we particularly covered preaching in the CRC, um, which of course has so much influence for the current health and future direction of the denomination, and also uh, looked at some of the temptations among traditionalists or theological conservatives in the CRC. And so um, we did uh, cover a few of those things, and today we're going to launch forward into looking at the progressive wing of the Christian Reformed Church and also what some people would maybe call the pragmatist. I don't know if that's a title that some churches would have for themselves, but um, these would be Hmm. uh, churches that were formerly known as seeker-sensitive or church growth movement congregations that um, really focus on um, growth, numbers, um, evangelism, um, so we'll we'll think about these two camps of the Christian Reformed Church today in this podcast. And even as we get started, we want to recognize that it is really our desire to present these uh, views fairly. Of course, mm-hmm. we have some disagreements with what is happening among churches of more progressive or liberal uh, persuasion and churches of a more pragmatist persuasion. Um, But at the same time, we do recognize that there are some good things happening in these churches as well. And at times, the bad will far outweigh the good, um, but but we do want to represent these groups fairly in our conversation here. Yeah, I think as an extension of that, our our concern is that we don't come across as people who are just anti-everything. Yeah. But that we come across very clearly that out of concern and love for the Lord and for the gospel, Mm -hmm. uh, there are times when we do have to take a stand and we do have to speak up, not because we enjoy getting into the ring, so to speak, and and duking it out, but because uh, we believe and trust and love God's word. And when we see it being... uh, being, I don't know, derided sometimes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, or forgotten, disregarded, disregarded. Yeah. Uh, we we feel like we have to speak up, uh, and we there's there's things we have to do as pastors. This is part of what we're ordained to do: uh, is to be careful, to be clear, to be discerning, and try to teach God's God's word in a loving and joyful way. And so we want to be known more for what we're for than what we're against. But naturally, when we're for something, then we're going to be against other things. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. And 
And one really helpful little challenge that I heard a few days ago from a pastor in the Christian Reformed Church, a very, very good Korean pastor, um, he noted that in the church, in the world, we have enemies. And Jesus recognized this. Uh, He said, Mm -hmm. love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Sometimes in the church, we kind of pretend that because it's so important to make friends and be nice, we could never say that there are enemies of the kingdom of God. Hmm. And this that pastor really provided a, a biblical, um, persuasive case that the Christian, the Bible-believing, Christ-exalting Christian, should recognize at times we have enemies, even enemies within the Christian Reformed Church. Hmm. And... Um, I found that to be a, kind of a wake-up that um, this pastor said, the, the job of the Christian minister isn't just to make friends and to be friends with everyone. And, and of course, we should love others mm-hmm. and pray for people who oppose the gospel. Um, but if being nice and being liked is the only value for a Christian minister, you're going to end up avoiding very important parts of the Bible. And so we recognize that there's going to be a little bit more edge to this episode. And in some regard, we are recognizing here that there are enemies within the Christian Reformed Church who have far less interest in the pure gospel of Jesus Christ than in um, maybe some other worldly pursuit or, uh, um, or, or some... A promotion of a false gospel, yeah, uh, particularly a social gospel, which we'll get to. Yeah, and I think it's important then for us to start out in the way that we typically do in episodes like this by looking at the positive, uh, the positive things that we see and that we appreciate and even really love um, amongst those who we would see as you know opponents in some sense mm-hmm. inside of our own denomination, even. Um, I don't like to use that word opponents, but for lack of a better word, I think that that's what we'll go with. And uh, th- there, mm. we we see them uh, as brothers and as sisters, but there's some severe disagreements, and mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. there's times to point the finger at ourselves, which I think we've we've tried to do um, in the past episode in particular. And there's also times to to have to point the finger and call out some things in others. And so before we, we get to that, it's good for us to stop and say, look, we, we don't want to just trash the other side. We want to to do this as carefully as possible. Uh, we want to do it with as much uh, objectivity as possible. And so it's good to start with looking at the positives that we see uh, in our denomination, particularly with the more progressive types, uh, the more... Um, theologically non-traditional types in our in our denomination so mark what would some of the positives that you see yeah i certainly see that there are some and i do have a value for those who see things differently than me i think that i i get a little bit concerned when i hear theologically conservative 
pastors and churches say, we need to be with more like-minded people. That's a great point. Um, because that I know that there needs to be some unity on gospel basics, and I would say in the Christian Reformed Church, there needs to be unity around the three forms of unity, <laughs> hence mm-hmm. the name. Um, <laughs> uh, but I think that there's some freedom there that would allow us to appreciate um, when people challenge us. I, I have hmm. a real concern that um, many theological conservatives just want to be uh, having their biases confirmed, having their group think comfort. Mm-hmm. Um, and this really does happen a lot among theologically conservative churches. There is group think on an amazing level at times that I have witnessed com- uh, conversations around very gray areas that end up just everyone ends up thinking the, exactly the same thing. That's a real concern for me. And so that's kind of a preface to say that some of the things I appreciate among the more progressive wing of the Christian Reformed Church um, are challenges to the group think that we would be brought into as a theologically conservative congregation. Hmm. Um, so one of those things is going to be um, that those of a more progressive persuasion in the CRC are far more likely than the conservative group to encourage stewardship of God's creation. Hmm. I don't know how this happened. I would suppose over the last seven or eight years, it it has been so politicized to talk about the environment Hmm. that any encouragement to care for the world that God has made is regarded as a kind of liberal attitude. And that is so unfortunate because it's a a theme of Scripture from Genesis through Revelation Mm -hmm. to value the world that God has made and um, for some reason, theologically conservative people have kind of made that into a liberal issue that we don't want to get into. And it's really sad that that has happened. And I'm thankful that the more progressive Christians among us care about the world that God has made. And maybe more openly, like you'd hear a sermon about it. I'm not necessarily saying that theologically conservative people don't care about God's creation, but any addressing of that is going to be assumed oh you're uh you're just you've just bought the the whole line of the liberal world on yeah. global warming and um climate change and and i i would agree that that's some pretty mysterious stuff that we need to look at science on but even talking about it in conservative circles is often regarded as liberal yeah so yeah, that's an unfortunate reality. I, I've I've encountered this too in in uh, my adult Sunday school class just recently. The last few months, we were reading a book by Jake Meter, The Common Good, I think it's called, and he mentions this sort of in passing, uh, and he mentions you know the environment and taking care of of God's creation, and it's not even a huge point in the section of the book, but I could I sort of sensed that there was some e- unease. Uh, amongst the people in the the book reading group, uh, not really sure what to make of this, uh, and mm. that was an interesting picture I thought uh, of people's of exactly what you're talking about that phenomenon of people not feeling very easy about it or fe- feeling very comfortable with it because it seems to be such a liberal issue, um, and it's almost like we've ceded it to well yeah. that's a lot like 
um, which we'll get into next, care for the poor. It's like, yeah. oh, that's that's their thing that they talk about. And so anytime you talk about racial justice, oh, nah, no, that's you're gonna you're gonna get into stuff that liberal people care about, and, mm-hmm. and we care about you know, taxes and freedom, and mm-hmm. um, you know. Uh, Fourth Amendment, Second Amendment, you know. Second Amendment it, is a big it, one. It's like there's, there are, each camp has staked their ground, and um, the other isn't kind of allowed to go in there. Yeah. And that's kind of what has happened with the, the creation thing and the, um, particularly talking about yeah, racial justice and poor and poverty. And that's where, like you said, it's really good to break out of your echo chamber yeah. and have people that keep you accountable and what they're keeping you accountable to, hopefully, is the word of God. Yeah, absolutely. This is where I, I will say I'm a conservative because I really believe every word of the Bible. But that pushes me to to hold to positions that may put me on the outs mm. with other people who call themselves conservatives as well. Yeah, great. So point. the Bible teaches me that I should care for God's world. Yeah. And I should care for his creation. I should be a steward of his creation. Uh, It teaches me that I should care for people who look differently than I do, who have different skin colors, different backgrounds, who come from different economic uh, levels in society, and people who speak different languages than me. Uh, The scriptures teach me that I should care for people who are very poor, and even those who have in many ways uh, been their own downfall, have have gotten themselves into their own problems. And I... I'm still told that I need to care for them. And because I believe every word of, of God, I believe those things. Uh, and so those are things we cannot see to, to be issues that only one side can hold. But we have to, in holding to God's word, do our absolute best by his grace to be obedient to all of his word. Yeah, and we might have a takeaway in this little section here that... I would guess most people who are listening to this podcast are of a more theologically conservative viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, I would encourage people who are particularly not members of Almond Valley to encourage your pastor, preach to us about creation care and about mm-hmm. caring for the poor, and don't be afraid because it's in the Word of God. And so say what God's Word says on these yeah. things to us. Um that could really embolden a pastor in a theologically conservative church. Like I would think if some if if a bunch of people came forward to me and said, "We want to hear about what God's word says about caring for creation." Um that would really help me um to desire to cover that topic. Um not that I would want to avoid them out of fear that, you know, people are <laughs> are going to misrep- misread the sermon or or sort of listen to it with an uncharitable ear but mm. it, it just could be that encouragement that a pastor needs to to uh break the mold yeah. you might say um in a good way and so obviously we mentioned it a little bit here one of the things i appreciate also about the progressive wing of the crc is their care for the poor um certainly there is great encouragement to um, pay attention absolutely to the refugee uh, to the uh, um, ethnic minority, um, mm-hmm. which is 
let's be honest, it's a difficult thing in for many ethnic minority people in Christian Reformed churches who are very small minorities in our predominantly white churches to um, to fit in. They desire community, and uh, hopefully we can be sensitive to not just their experiences, but their desire to be welcomed as they are into oh. our predominantly white churches. And again, for some reason, this ground has been mostly ceded to mm-hmm. the more progressive churches in the Christian Reformed Church, which is very unfortunate. We should all desire to be more ethnically diverse churches. I don't think that that's the goal of the church, mm-hmm. is to be ethnically diverse. But in our case here in Ripon, we have many, many Latino neighbors, yeah. and we have very, very few Latino people in our church. And so hopefully our church would be growing um, not just in the likeness of Christ, but ethnically, we would want to be more like our neighborhood. Yeah, and so um, we should desire that. Yeah, so that's that's another really good, good, good thing that it, a good gift from the more progressive side of the aisle in our denomination is that they beckon us always to return to these issues. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I will, I will, as we'll see, I'll take. Uh, take issue with certain ways that they go about arguing for certain things absolutely their starting points often are very different than my own but they do cause me to reflect on on certain things and this is something that i've appreciated about coming from the outside into the crc again like i said last episode sometimes people will ask me why did you choose the crc didn't you see all the problems with it Uh, shouldn't you you have gone to a more ideologically homogenous denomination (laughs) where you wouldn't bump into all these problems and my response has always been to to these people that i appreciate that there is this diversity even though it may be seen as a curse to many people and sometimes it feels like one Mm. it also it keeps me honest it keeps me having to return to scripture it keeps me having to keep the main things the main things and I, I, I truly think that it makes me a better reader of God's word, uh, and it, it helps me so much. And so, yeah, caring for the poor is something that, that we absolutely need to do. I was really excited this past week when one of the young young women in my ministry, one of the high school girls, uh, told me that one of her New Year's goals for 2021 is to give more time working uh, at the local uh we, we call bank. it interfaith. It's yeah. sort of an outreach for for uh, low income families to uh, to find food and clothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she wants to give give more of her time to this uh, to this opportunity to serve people. And I think that that's a really great sign, and that that shows me that we're doing something right <laughs> here in yeah. communicating that care for the poor is a gospel mm. issue. Yeah. Uh, it is a part of what we are called to do as Christians. I wouldn't say that's a gospel issue in the same way justification is the go- is a gospel issue. Sure, sure. Uh, everything can sort of become of the gospel, right. Sure, yeah. It's an outworking of the gospel. Yeah. I think James two makes that very yeah. clear. Absolutely. Uh, and so there are these sorts of things that we really appreciate about uh, those in the CRC that we disagree with on really fundamental things, but we really appreciate that they cast our attention to to these sorts of things and they make us read God's word uh, for all that it says and not just picking our favorite passages or our favorite uh, verses or even our favorite authors of the Bible uh, and saying we need to hold these more highly than, than anything else. It helps us to read all of scripture for all it's worth. Mm. 
Yeah, and maybe a really concrete example of how this progressive wing challenges us in a good way is uh, really keeping a desire for diversity, which is a, a good thing. Um, that we, we want that dividing wall of hostility between race that, that exists between races to hmm. be destroyed by Jesus Christ. And um, unfortunately, uh, there are many examples in theologically conservative uh, churches, reformed churches even, of just no interest in doing that work of racial reconciliation. Uh, I think of a, a picture, I recently saw a picture of a, a gathering of Napark churches, um, and it was a bunch of pastors, I think, from churches that were represented in that Napark group, and it was all white men except for one Korean guy, I think. And mm -hmm. so it was like 35 pastors, and they were all white guys except for one. Now, some people would already, you know, the, the hairs start to get uh, raised up on their back a little bit. <laughs> you and, said the words, uh, white men. I, I said it, and <laughs> he, now here's the thing. Um, I don't think it is the goal of the church to mandate uh, that certain ethnicities need to be, you know, filling different quotas and different roles. However... Mm -hmm that should make us uncomfortable to see that picture a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like we should desire more diversity, yeah, more ethnic diversity. That is a good thing to value in our very ethnically diverse nation, state, and city. Um, mm -hmm. The fact that, that some people would see that picture and like have no problem with that and just be like, oh yeah, well, that's just what we are. Mm -hmm. uh, we should desire a little bit more to, to branch out into um, into our community, yeah. um, regardless of how people look. And I'm not accusing each of those men of, of racism, which is yeah, sort of no. the accusation that progressives would <laughs> levy, right? But it's all white men, it's, they're all racist. Exactly. It's automatically yeah. because of racism. But I do think it would be good to desire more diversity. Mm -hmm. and, and we get some of that... Uh, correction you might say from the more progressive wing so yeah. we thought about some of the positives um i would say we could maybe shift more into the concerns that we have with the more progressive wing and just simply put there are false teachers there are yeah. uh teachers who do not stand on the word of god and so some of these little positive things that could be happening are totally overtaken um yes. by this false teaching because some of the good things can really be built on a social gospel instead of the pure gospel of Jesus Christ, Absolutely. which is justification through Christ, forgiveness for sin, um, belief in his literal death and resurrection from the dead, his mm -hmm. literal ascension to heaven, his literal return, bodily return to the world. Um, mm -hmm. These are miraculous supernatural things that we believe about Christ that have achieved our salvation. And there is less interest in those cornerstone moments of Christ's ministry than there is in taking care of the poor and being racially diverse and so forth. And often there's a willful decision to push those aside, those absolutely important world-changing truths. Uh, those those are often derided or even scoffed at. Yeah. Uh, 
And so, yeah, there's definitely a need for us to now turn and to say, what are our concerns? Uh, what are our our fears? Maybe <laughs> maybe that's the wrong word. I'm not exactly fearful, but what are our our worries about mm-hmm. uh, how our our denomination is being adversely affected uh, by what we will say are honestly false teachers, yeah. people who are not holding to God's word and in many ways are casting it aside. Uh, so it's kind of a sliding scale too, a little bit. Oh, for because, sure. It's a spectrum. Yeah. Because yeah. You, you do have some, uh, more progressive ministers, mm-hmm. um, who do hold to the true gospel. Um, but who, really who get sort of caught up in the weeds of, uh, um, politicizing it a little bit too much. Yeah. Um, casting a, a little bit, uh, I would say, rebukes where rebukes are not necessary like i think of the the picture of the white men and Mm -hmm. automatically assuming that that's because of racism Mm -hmm. um so there are some gospel preaching christ exalting ministers who get caught up in some of that and then there are though there are those in the christian reformed church that are not even gospel believing bible believing um infallible Mm -hmm. word of god um, and you know, to give you a few examples, just so that you know, I'm not imagining a boogeyman who isn't out there. Um, I've not seen this happen in my current classes, but in my previous classes, which is the regional group of churches, there was a ordination exam of a minister who said he didn't believe in hell. Um, hmm. He basically said, I, "I the jury's still out for me on that." Um, again, false teacher. You cannot be a preacher of the gospel and not believe that hell is. Real and is a destination where some, unfortunately and sadly, some people will be. Um, another minister, a different pastor, uh, gave his definition of the gospel and never said the name of Jesus, never said sin, never said forgiveness. Hmm. Um, it was about restoration, and the gospel is about how God puts us back together and God is love. That's not the gospel. And mm-hmm. so, again, uh, a Christian minister who can't describe the gospel and, and talk about Jesus <laughs> is, is going to be a false teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, yet another can- ministry candidate had uh, basically said the reason that Jesus died, this is a big one, is that he was a victim of violence. He was mm. a victim of a lynching, basically. Oh, man. And so... Uh, Jesus is the moral exemplar of how to endure through suffering. And um, he pushed back against penal substitutionary atonement. Hmm, Um, And, uh, you know, it was sort of the divine child abuse excuse for Mm -hmm. why we don't, why we shouldn't believe in penal substitutionary atonement. And again, this this man's uh, ordination actually went all the way to the synod level that um, some churches pushed back against it. And he does remain an active Christian Reformed Church pastor right now. Hmm. So um, he is a false teacher. And uh, he's going to lead people away from the truth. He's going to preach, unless he changes, he's going to preach his whole ministry and the impact of his ministry will not be life. It will be death. Yeah, it's a false gospel. Right. There's and, no life in that. And so, um, of course, Jesus is not just a moral exemplar, example. He is a moral example, um, but he is 
Uh, he is so, so much more. He is the propitiation for our sin, the, the payment yeah. um, that earns our, our salvation. So, yeah, so that's a helpful distinction between false teachers and false teachings. Uh, just because somebody promotes in some way or teaches a false teaching, it does not necessarily mean that they're a false teacher, uh, especially mm. if they are given uh, time to clarify time yeah. to change their opinions yeah um we we hesitate to use the word heretic and, and we, when we look at church history heretics are those who willfully did not repent even though the weight of scripture and of the church was all against them yeah uh, and they would they would live their lives in rebellion so to speak um there was there's often times where where pastors will say things that aren't true i'm sure that there's actually i know for a fact there's there's things that I've said yeah. looking back at past yeah. sermons from many, many years ago, long before I got here, that I can look back and say, that is wrong. <laughs> and that was probably very hurtful mm. even to the souls of people who are hearing mm-hmm. me speak. Uh, I will look back with disgust on some of the things I've said. Uh, so don't go searching the internet for Pastor, or for pastor Zach Dewey and for sermons <laughs> that he's preached. Uh, <laughs> well, I did that on one of my internships. Um, actually, it was here in Ripon. I was across town for my internship during seminary, and uh, I preached something that I forget exactly what I said, but the sentence was so wrong, and I even saw a few furrowed brows immediately. And I recognized it afterwards. I'm like, wait, did I really say that? And the next Sunday, I basically, I apologized for it. I said, I said this, that is not right. And I had an opportunity to actually teach because I made the mistake of what was right. Hmm. This is not that. Um, and, and these, there are ministers in the, the Christian Reformed Church. Um, again, it's not just um, the issues of the gospel itself, but really it's God's word. And so we can also think of um, the issue of something like homosexuality, mm-hmm. where there are ministers who would refuse to say what God's word says about it. And, um, that is, that would be a false teaching that comes. Yeah. Um, and you don't want to impugn people for not saying certain things. An argument from silence is not a very strong argument at all. Um, but, um, where a minister truly is affirming of same sex activity and then just, refuses to talk about it almost actively refuses to talk about it um that would be again a major concern of many many ministers in the progressive wing of the crc that's another reason to preach through books of the bible yeah absolutely because you will confront uncomfortable things like that as a pastor and your courage will be tested hell you'll talk about hell if you're preaching through the gospels Mm -hmm. um you will talk about sexuality you'll talk about greed the exclusivity of christ exactly yeah um uh, the willingness to draw lines at times between those who are a believer and in the body of christ and those who are not like i'm preaching through first john you have to get to that you have to say that those who love are born of god Mm -hmm. he who loveth not knoweth not god right that's the old king james version yeah and i I, I like that um and you're going to say those things <laughs> when you're preaching through books of the Bible. Yeah, totally. Um, so that sort of gets to something that we were talking about in the last episode where preaching mm-hmm. can be a little bit fuzzy, vague, vanilla, um, safe. 
Yeah. Um, it often would be more fiery on political issues. So, oh man, super fiery. Yeah, in, I've seen in these things, you know, uh, su- support for government health care, you know, as mm-hmm. kind of a, a human right and so forth, will be very will be shouted from the pulpit. Um, where and then sexual ethics will be not even whispered but disregarded. Um, yeah, it's interesting. You could almost use the law gospel paradigm by and looking at progressive churches. And this is in the CRC and outside the, of the CRC. There's a very strong sense of law absolutely. That, that is preached. You are not doing enough to serve the poor, to, to be involved in racial justice, to take care of our climate, and so on. And so you'll see these fiery sermons. But then what is the gospel? Yeah. Uh, preached or what is the grace preached well it's just look at jesus look what he did he's yeah. our he's your moral exemplar yeah. he's your he's your example of what it looks like to suffer for a good cause mm-hmm. even to the point of death uh that is not the gospel that is an inspirational message mm-hmm. uh, that is a that is a motivational speaker i think of <laughs> living in a van down by the river when i hear that sort of stuff because it's there's no real gospel. There's no real transformation or life change uh, that is being preached. There's, uh, it's it's all and it's all man centered. It's do more, work harder, be better, be nicer. And that's yeah. that's another one of my concerns with the progressive side mm. is that the the Ten Commandments seem to be tossed aside mm. sometimes, and the big overarching concern or uh, the the overruling moral ethic is empathy niceness compassion it's, it's micah 6 8 without yeah. the with god at the end it's uh, <laughs> do justice love mercy and walk humbly you see it all the that's time a really good point that with god with your god Just is removed out. it's totally lopped off of the end of that and so it's be nice do justice yeah. walk humbly yeah that that's becomes it. the whole law of god which is of course a summary of god's law but what is even meant by justice and mercy and walking with God is probably different and not biblical in that context. Yeah, and then a passage like, I forget, I think it's the end of First Corinthians. Paul is talking to the elders of Corinth and he's saying, be courageous, be strong, act like men. That doesn't quite <laughs> fit very well with what Micah is saying. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, those those ethical values get raised to the top and so everything is always about being nice. And this goes back to what Jude says, and mm. we were talking about last week. He says, snatch others from the fire. Yeah, That is not a very nice thing to say that people are standing in a way that they're, they're, they're falling into the fire or they're vulnerable to falling into the fire. We would say the fire of hell. Uh, and and even maybe even the fires of, of earthly consequences yeah, in their suffering lives. Suffering in the earth, yeah. Um, and so... To, to do something like that is to say, look, you are in grave error. You are in grave sin yeah. uh, in, in, in whatever this person is doing. It could be all, all manner of things. But to reach out and tell them and to pull them back, even sometimes maybe kicking and screaming a little bit, mm. uh, that is not seen as a loving thing by, by many people in our world today. But the Bible does tell us that that is a loving thing. Um, Yeah, I'll give you an example in our own church. So we have a few cases of church discipline, official, formal church discipline in our church. And I would say this would be one of the great errors of the progressive church. I would wonder 
it's speculation, but I think it's probably pretty fair. If there are any cases of formal church discipline in some of these congregations, um, or if even even if there were, if they're really sort of based on God's word, um, so some people would hear about church discipline and they would say that sounds mean, or they've heard it abused in the past, which it has been in the Christian Reformed Church. I've hear I've heard absolute horror stories of people having to stand, um, you know, single mothers having to stand because their husband has deserted them and she's now gotten a divorce. One of my friends from seminary went through that experience and his whole family, so his single mom and his siblings, and he stood in church to be rebuked and cast out of the, uh, of the church. Um, the guy left. The guy was gone. He had not been there for years, oh, and yeah. they were they were shamed in front of the church. Oh my gosh! So obviously, that's not what we mean by church discipline. But um, church discipline has it is a mark of the true church, uh, according to the Belgic Confession, mm-hmm. um, that where there is no discipline, there really are no guardrails on life itself. Um, I said recently in a sermon. If church discipline never, ever happened in a church, then membership at a church means absolutely nothing. It means nothing. If there is nothing you can do to be um, corrected or even cast out mm-hmm. of a body of believers, then your membership is worthless. Uh, and so that's not the only reason, of course, that you do it. You do it sure. mostly to correct somebody, to draw them back into uh, a life of fruitfulness, a life of Christian discipleship. But we and we have had that at our own church. Um, there, there was a scenario where um, someone was really erring very seriously, a very public, disastrous sin. Um, me and the elders approached this man and said, "This is a matter of spiritual life and death. You are um, not welcome at the table of communion until we see some progress, some repentance. There has to be public repentance over time for you." And this man was actually thankful he said i knew this was coming and i'm thankful that you guys are trying to wake me up to the seriousness of my sin Hmm. and now this man is no longer under church discipline he's been serious about uh trusting in christ resting in christ um being uh active in worship and more active of course in his um following of christ Hmm. and that is not going to happen in um, the progressive church that says, you do you, um, let's all be nice, uh, church discipline is for old fuddy-duddies. I guess I could push back against that just a little bit to okay. say that there would be church discipline. I, I okay. could imagine in cases where... Maybe somebody says something racist. Somebody says something very, yeah. That seems I mean, which would be a good reason, re- of Very course. Republican in a, okay. in, a, in, a, in a very democratic, otherwise democratic church. Um, I'm talking capital R, capital D, uh, Republican and capital yeah, sure. D, Democrat. Uh, and so maybe it's the pragmatists that would see less church discipline, I would say. Yeah. That would probably be more the case. Yeah. And so I think I've seen on the pastors forum and on our denomination, pastors uh, wondering about what to do with people in their mm. congregation who are really pro keeping the church and open church open oh, okay keeping, yeah. keeping worship going on sundays in person when these churches are meeting online and it gets to the point where they're so disruptive okay. about meeting in person that there's a, a felt need for for uh, church discipline and so okay yeah. i could see matters of discipline or 
situations of church discipline happening in progressive churches, but the issues would be very, very different. Yeah. Oh, well, I have seen it said by some Christian Reformed ministers that church discipline, these are definitely of the more progressive persuasion, church discipline should basically not happen anymore. Sure. So I've, I've, seen, I've seen that um, communicated, and so I do have some, some data, maybe anecdotal data yeah. to represent. And that would be uh, from more of the historical reasons church discipline has happened, right? So yeah. You could say yeah, homosexuality, mar- marital infidelity. Yeah. Uh, and or yeah. In some all cases, of other it, it's breaking the law. Violent right? crime. Yeah. yeah. Breaking the Open law. Open racism. Um, yeah. Yeah. Those like, would be reasons to do it, you know, a hundred years ago. And so that that is why I could yeah. see people standing up and saying we shouldn't do false teaching would that be anymore. One. But yeah, pragmatism. Yeah. That that's that sort of side of the CRC probably does it the least. Sure. And so anyways, if we want to sum up the concern with the more progressive wing, um, we can certainly do that by looking at this group called All One Body as a parable. Mm -hmm. Um, And in some ways, whether they like it or not, a representation of the open and affirming movement in the Christian Reformed Church. So All One Body, for those who are not Christian Reformed, is a group within the CRC that exists to push forward the um, LGBTQ plus agenda, um, that is, to applaud same-sex unions, to celebrate same-sex marriage, to allow for um, active same-sex married individuals to be working in ministry and in good standing and so forth, just to open the, open the doors, you might say, to people who want to live that lifestyle, unrepentant, um, and uh, and be active members and leaders in the CRC. So they mentioned uh, at one of their All One Body meetings um, that they're not going to pursue the biblical argument as much. They're, they're just going to not really, they don't really want to deal with that so much anymore. What they need to do is tell stories. What they need to do is, quote, appeal to the Spirit or... Um, you kind of tug at people's heartstrings, and when they hear enough stories of how um, how nice, how um, how much these some of these people love Jesus and profess to love Jesus, um, how much they love to be a part of the Christian Reformed Church, how they're from Calvin University and so forth. Once they hear all these stories, they'll be essentially con- us theologically conservative people will be convinced as to the goodness of this thing of, of homosexuality to which Cal John Calvin responds with a very um, hmm. forceful response uh, to those who appeal to the spirit or appeal to the emotions as opposed to the Bible. John Calvin says those who rejecting scripture imagine that they have some peculiar way of penetrating to God are to be deemed not so much under the influence of error as madness. For certain giddy men have lately appeared, who, while they make a great display of the superiority of the Spirit, reject all reading of the Scriptures themselves, and deride the simplicity of those who only delight in what they call the dead and deadly letter. So it's saying um, it will be the Bible will be called a deadly book in some ways, which mm. is it's so prophetic that John Calvin said that because that yeah. is what the Bible is called, um, even in these circles. 
maybe not as a whole, but certain things about the Bible are, are said to be problematic or, or wrong. So yeah. continuing from Calvin's Institutes, but I wish they would tell me what spirit it is whose inspiration raises them to such a sublime height that they dare despise the doctrine of Scripture as mean and childish. If they answer that it is the Spirit of Christ, their confidence is exceedingly ridiculous, since they will, I presume, admit that the apostles and other believers in the primitive church were not illuminated by any other spirit. <laughs> so um, even at the end, he, uh, he goes on and says, uh, hence, hence we infer that these miscreants are guilty of fearful sacrilege in tearing asunder what the prophet joins in indis- indissoluble union, meaning the mm-hmm. indissoluble union of the person of Jesus Christ and the word of God. So uh, yeah, Calvin gets right to it, and that is very much the game plan of um, many in the progressive wing, is less Bible, more stories, more, yeah. uh, more appeal to the spirit. Um, so the argument is being made aesthetically in terms of its, its apparent goodness and beauty, yeah. and not so much because of its truth. Right? Sure. They're, they're not wanting to make the, the biblical intellectual argument, the logical argument from Scripture, because that's going to be that's losing. been tried, yep. and that is not a winning argument. Yep. The winning argument is, for lack of a better way of putting it, tugging on the heartstrings of those who uh, are sort of unsure what they believe on the issue. Uh, and this, this happens a lot with all kinds of other issues, not just homosexuality, that have uh, made their way into the church. Uh, it's mm. often through telling stories, through, uh, through, you know, advocating for certain positions by making emotional accounts. And it's not that we shouldn't listen to these emotional accounts, but we should always be checking them by scripture. Yeah. And this is something that has really, I don't know, appalled me at certain times in the CRC as somebody who's come from the outside I've seen so many people making arguments through the banner or through mm. uh, online uh, forums. And the banner, if for anybody who's listening, is our denominational monthly magazine, mm-hmm. uh, which often gives voice to different issues that are taking place in our denomination, sometimes from uh, well-known CRC members, sometimes from uh, lay people yeah, in the denomination, and sometimes even from the outside of our denomination. Anyone could write a letter or an article right. for the and So there's yeah. a lot of back and forth that happens, a lot of people responding to letters they've seen in the previous month's edition and so on. But uh, I've seen so many times people make the argument that, yeah, look, I grew up in the CRC. I went to this church. Yeah. I went yeah. to this Christian school. K through 12. I went to this college or university that is a CRC college or university. And I came to see finally that my positions that I had been told by my pastor on LGBTQ are to be, I I finally came to the position that those were all wrong. I I met some people and Mm -hmm. who, who would all of you be if you didn't make space for somebody like me who feels a very sentimental and emotional attachment to the CRC. And this, that's the argumentation. I've seen that argument again and again. And it's really saddening to me that this person, although they've grown up in the church their whole life is not. Some have been pastors. Not yet. Yeah. Yeah, They're not holding the word of God as their highest authority. Uh, And they are trying to 
pull other people along with them uh, by making an, an emotional argument of like you you can't take my 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 home and my denomination away from me mm. uh, but the problem is is that you're trying to take uh, your denomination in a different direction and yeah. you're trying to pull it in a, in a direction that it has not gone and that the bible cannot let it go yeah yeah and maybe putting a conclusion on this i, I would want to say it's important for theologically conservative people not to give ammo to these accusations of coldness and um, unloving, unmerciful judgmentalism against uh, people who struggle with homosexuality or greed or racism or so forth and so on. Amen. Um, because what I have found is these people are often pushed, they're, they're pulled, you might say, out of orthodoxy by worldly teaching, but they're also at the very same time pushed out by um, theologically conservative jerks. Yeah, we have so, enough of those. So um, there's that pulling out and pushing out that is happening, and and we do want to say there is there is room for any person, any repentant person in Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church and in the Christian Reformed Church at large, there is room for any person who is desiring to follow Christ. I love Martin Lloyd-Jones's definition of the Christian faith. He says, the Christian faith is believing the word of God. And so um, that doesn't mean if you say you love, if you just say you love Jesus, you're a Christian. That sounds really strange. But some people love things about Jesus who oh, yeah. certainly are not Christians. And so just to say I love Jesus does not automatically make one a Christian. It's like Gandhi, right? Didn't right. you say yeah, that? Yeah, I, I love your I, Jesus. I love your Christ, it's, but I don't love your Christians. Right. And so um, that's that sounds strange to a lot of Christian Reformed people, but I like Martin Lloyd-Jones' definition. The Christian faith is believing the Word of God. Old Which includes Testament, Christ, because he is the Word of God. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It includes <laughs> repentance and uh, belief and, and love for Jesus Christ, but it also embraces all of God's Word. Hmm. So it's a great definition that would really confront those in the progressive camp of the yeah, CRC. Uh, Christian faith point. is to believe the Word of God. Yeah, yeah. We, we don't need to give any more ammunition. Um, that, <laughs> yeah. Speaking of ammunition, I think we've seen some of that this week in the news with storming, storming of the Capitol. Yeah, that's ammunition, right? Yeah, there. we disavow that that garbage, that totally. sin, and uh, unfortunately, there would be even some conservative Christian people who would kind of want to defend some of the riot, riotous, sinful behavior that has occurred this past week. There's the really capital. no defending it. There's no defending it, and so we, we should not try. Anyways, we need to move <laughs> forward into <laughs> thinking about our, the pragmatists, and that's not really a word that people would have in their daily lexicon. So what do we mean by a pragmatic church? Um, these would be churches who would have been openly called seeker-sensitive mm -hmm. um, in the 90s and early 2000s, sort of the church growth movement that was spearheaded by Willow Creek, Bill Hybels, Saddleback, Rick Warren, um, Andy Stanley, I would say, is still so in this camp. The emerging church was was so, sort of in this category. Yeah, I mean, the, there's emergent and emerging, depending right. on how you distinguish those. Yeah, there are still lots of these churches that are very influential. Andy mm -hmm. Stanley is probably the biggest current name in this type of church, the pragmatic church. Yeah, um, yeah right now he's 
yeah. sure one of the big the big ones the yeah big names Stephen Furtick would Often, be similar these churches are on paper theologically conservative or yeah. at least you know evangelical evangelical right orthodox you could say with a little o socially conservative you might say if you want to use that political mm-hmm. term um mm-hmm. so they would have a hold to a biblical view of uh sexuality and um scripture mm-hmm. um all those things will look pretty good on yeah literal resurrection of christ yep. literal return of christ that is coming someday um they'll talk about sin m- a yeah. lot of times Right. Not, maybe not all the time. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so some of the values of these churches, really the main value would be transformation, evangelism, um, kind of, you would say, doing whatever it takes to get people to come to church. Hence and be the a pragma- church. pragmatist yeah. title that we've given them. Yeah. Uh, they're doing what it takes to reach a certain end goal. Yeah. Um, and their end goal is, for the most part, trying to create as big a church as possible. So just real quickly here, what are some of the, the, the positives? What are some of the, the concerns we have here for these churches in our denomination? Well, one of the positives is the willingness to try new things, creative things that will make an impact in the kingdom of God. Um, it is, and this is a strength of the pragmatic, pragmatists that really addresses one of the weaknesses of those in the theologically conservative camp. So hmm. uh, the organ, for example. Um, <laughs> I love the organ, by the way. <laughs> I, I love the organ. Uh, I love to hear organ accompaniment to mm-hmm. A Mighty Fortress, Holy, 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 How Great Thou Art, By the Sea of Crystal, these mm-hmm. amazing hymns. I yeah. love it when the organ is playing along with the doxology. Oh, it's awesome. But the pragmatist will say, is your love for the organ worth um, offending people, pushing them out of the church? And um, would you give up the organ if it meant that somebody could worship God more fully who is not a Christian? Mm-hmm. That's a good question, actually, to ask, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, the pragmatist, of course, will pretty much always say, yes, no organ, no steeple, no stained glass, no mm-hmm. no sort of sacred space. Um and so they'll go to the extreme in making worship hospitable. But what I do appreciate is at least asking the question, um, what can we do? What are we willing to sacrifice of our own tastes and our own even man-made traditions um, that are getting in the way of people hearing about Jesus Christ and salvation through him? Hmm. So, um, that's a good, that's, that's a positive. Yeah. From and the and so I, again, I don't want to paint a straw man here because that is a good thing that a lot of, and I would even say most of these ministers that I've encountered, that's a good value that they hold to. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say? Could you think of any uh, positives in this movement? <laughs> any thoughts? <laughs> There's lots of positives. The biggest <laughs> one for me in this movement that I definitely would not say I am personally a part of the biggest and most obvious one to me is their desire to see people know Jesus. Yeah. And that shames me. Mm-hmm. Um, often when I look at these churches that do care so much about telling people about Jesus, that shames me. Um, because I sometimes get in my little rut of just my little world. I have my students, I have my thing. Mm. And that's, that's something that I need. It's a constant reminder uh, to, to, say look 
there is a world out there that is dying that that does need Christ, uh, and they are they they are far from Him. They are separated from Him by their sin. They are they are even hellbound. That's yeah. that's something to to be said too. And I need to worry more about about mm. reaching the lost, about preaching the gospel, and about seeing people who do not know Jesus come to know Jesus. Yeah, it, you might use sort of a word picture to say at times the walls of the church are too thick in yeah. in some of our more theologically conservative churches and in these pragmatic churches the walls of the church are very thin it's very easy to okay. come in the doors are wide open um often that's through creative ministry things and so that is another positive of yeah. the more pragmatist churches is getting very creative with how to do ministry um that was going to get into a concern that often there is so much creativity that it becomes extra biblical and even unbiblical what some of these churches do um, in order to pull people into the church. Um, however, that creativity is a virtue, I would say, that we probably need a little bit more of in the theologically conservative uh, reformed context that we do ministry. So, um also, I, I would want to say that these churches generally have a, a very joyful and hospitable ethos. And so it's not just as though they're doing things that um, a new a seeker or a visitor would be attracted by, but their spirit, the spirit of the worshiper and mm-hmm. of these pastors is really quite joyful. Uh, we are glad to be in worship today. Aren't aren't you glad to be in mm-hmm. the house of God today? We're glad to see you today. A lot of those things That's a good should thing. be said in worship, and, and it's good. I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, do we have that mentality? Um, often it can feel more like a duty in mm-hmm. our theologically conservative context to be in church. Um, and I'm not impugning all of the people who come to church as saying they're just duty-bound to do so. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> as if the law of God is burdensome. I'm not suggesting that. But um, one can feel it yeah. more so at some of these pragmatic churches. Uh, wow, we're glad. We're glad to see you yeah. today. It's that, good. That, that does lead me to one of my concerns, yeah, then. Yeah, we can get rid right of that. that. Is yeah. that I think there's often a—it's it's often concocted, this, this atmosphere of joy and excitement— is a uh, is a way of getting people to have their passions and their feelings stoked up. It's almost to get their serotonin levels really high, so they're really just you know just jazzed and happy to be there. And this may may well work in terms of pragmatism of getting people into the church and to have them stay. But what happens when serious life pain creeps in? What if what happens when when somebody uh, somebody's loved one dies tragically the week before and they come to church and there's just this woohoo aren't you glad to be here at church yeah. sort of mentality it would be glib. there's no yeah. place for for grief there's no place for other psalms uh you you quoted the psalm like we should rejoice when we go to the house of the lord but mm. there's other psalms that are all about grief and lamentation and and wondering where god is in all of it and so churches ought to give voice to the full range of human emotions instead of just excitement. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can often, and, and all of this, this excitement that's produced can often sort of make it appear as though you're selling a product. Yeah. Uh, it can become, it can come across as very salesman-y. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you're trying to excite an emotion so that somebody buys the Jesus product and keeps coming back. And that is a really bad problem, I think. Yeah, the the big concern, I think, in the pragmatist church for me would be summarized with a helpful little saying, what you win them through, you win them to. Yeah, exactly. And so if you win people, win, this is very Pelagian, Arminian language, if you win people to Christ through um, joy and um, friendliness mm-hmm. and uh, the car show that's outside and sort of very... And Very the Christmas with Santa. Or... Yeah. Um, yeah. The Instagram selfie station. Um, some of these crazy things that happen in churches. If you win them through that, mm-hmm. then that's what you're winning them to, in that you are portraying to them that that's Christianity. That's what Christianity is about. It's about yeah. being happy. It's about um, yeah. doing your Instagram thing and uh, just kind of having living life to the full you know in yeah. the very american worldly sense I, um so sorry, yeah it's it you're i i do know of some people who left their church actually after mm-hmm. there was more emphasis on the car show that was the antique car show that they were doing than yep. on you know easter sunday it being a resurrection yeah i i think that there's that's, of, that's often a really massive problem i've seen so many people leave churches because they've come through the door of Mm. these kinds of churches and then they get to the point where they realize i really want substance i need weight i need something that's going to hold my whole life together and that's the gospel that is god's word uh they so they they come to churches like this because it's it's a low bar to get into a church like this and to be, be welcomed and to be cared for but then they get to the point where they really do want jesus and they what they feel like over time is Mm. that they're not being given Christ. Mm. And so I've seen this again and again, people will go to uh, what we can consider mega churches and you get really interested. It it effectively does work that they become interested in in the gospel, but then eventually they realize I'm not getting all of God's word. I'm not being, I'm not growing in maturity uh, in my faith. And when difficulty comes, this mm. church is not really there for me. The pastor yeah. doesn't visit me. Uh, and so I've seen church people go from these churches to uh, more reformed or traditional yeah. churches that do do these sorts of things. And uh, I guess this leads me to my, my last mm. concern here is that there's not much interest in the historic Catholic church. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, the church is very much about the here and the now. There's not any looking back. Uh, forget the the ancient church or the 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 church fathers or any of the medieval people. They're not even looking at the reformers either. There's there's no sense of history. Church history mm. begins when the church was founded, or when the pastor was born, or, <laughs> yeah. or whatever. And beyond that, there's no learning from anything beyond it. It's almost as if, and I've said this in a previous episode, right at the beginning of the podcast, I think that church history is helpful at least in one way, and that way is sort of the same way that rules are helpful in a in a sport. Um, over time, as the sport is played, there has to be more rules to develop it mm. so that the sport can, can go on and be a smooth and functional and therefore fun and joyful sport. Uh, but when you cast aside all of the wisdom of the church's past and you just sort of care about what's right mm. now, what's the present, uh, you you will find that you lack so much wisdom 
and that you will begin to either reinvent the wheel or you will uh, come up with some highly problematic solutions to things that your church is confronting. And so church history is a helpful guide. And so when these new sorts of churches turn their back on it, it's not, not a great thing. Yeah, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, and it's not only the witness of Scripture, but the witness of church history that corrects a lot of our errors and and troubles and foolishness. And so, Hmm. um, yeah, I would say that, to me, one of the great problems is a slippery slope argument. It's to say, well, if, um, if the trunk or treat and the easter egg hunt and the car show if that's what gets people in then we've got to keep re-upping that so those things aren't necessarily unbiblical but sure if it becomes the great value of the church to get people in then the next step would be to say unbiblical things that would attract hmm. people in like what andy stanley has now done saying we need to unhitch from the old testament and and it's really mm-hmm. interesting to hear his rhetoric or his reasoning for that. His reasoning is a absolutely pragmatic reason. He says people already have other obstacles for understanding the gospel. We don't need the Old Testament being another obstacle for them to listening to the death the story of the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's basically what he says in that sermon. And so I would say his sermon is actually even worse than what some people just give it credit for by hearing only about the unhitching from the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. He is taking pragmatism to its extreme by saying, we've got to get rid of the conquest of, of the promised land and um, some of these texts that call God a warrior, which he is because he hates sin. Um, we've, we've got to yeah. unhitch from that. Um, and so what starts with a desire to be relevant and authentic, quote-unquote, and um, relatable becomes uh, sort of a uh, a temptation that will grow and grow into um, what a- ends up becoming unbiblical. Yeah, um, maybe that's a great way to end this yeah. episode too, is because that the, that desire to lower the bar and to mm. remove offensive obstacles to the gospel is what ties these two different camps together: the progressive camp yeah. and the pragmatist camp is there's a desire to remove anything that may be seen as offensive yeah. to somebody who is not a Christian. Uh, we cannot allow our desire to see others changed by the transformative power of the gospel to overthrow uh, the offensiveness of the gospel. The gospel mm. will be offensive. We have to own up to that and to accept that. And this is why we call... Uh, we call salvation, we call conversion a miracle because people are being transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. This is not an easy thing. Mm. It's not something that we can just, you know, brush away. We can make all the, all the difficulties of the process very easy. There are going to be difficulties. So I'm all in favor of being seeker sensible of making things make sense to people, but I'm not in favor of capitulating and making our 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 Sunday worship service, for example, just all about reaching lost people. Yeah, and uh, maybe some examples, real quick, of of where this leads that is actually fall into false teaching at times. So I gave the Andy Stanley example of 
dismissing the Old Testament. And so in a lot of these pragmatist churches, you will not hear sermons very often from the Old Testament. You won't hear references to church history. Um, but uh, we, I could think of a phrase, uh, God's love is unconditional. <laughs> that's not true. And that's that would often be said in... Yeah. Um, in these seeker-sensitive churches, because it sounds... Or the progressive churches. <laughs> it sounds so good. God's love is unconditional. Um, God's love is pure mercy, and it's pure uh, grace that uh-huh. God would love us. But when God loves us, he certainly desires and demands, and demands that we love him and follow him. When we say God's love is unconditional, that communicates to people, you can do whatever you want. You can go on sinning so that grace may abound. Yeah. God's love is unconditional. So what sounds, what looks good on a tweet or on an Instagram post with a, a nice sunset picture behind it actually mm-hmm. becomes false teaching. Now, it might pragmatically get people into church because that message of hope or niceness mm-hmm. is really what appeals to the worldly person. Um, but... It, it does prompt ministers sometimes to say things that are just really unbiblical. The, the term broken, we're broken people, that on, on Sunday we gather as broken people. The Christian is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Hmm. We still have sin, but we are not utterly broken people, which is hmm. what is communicated in that false teaching that you hear a lot in pragmatist churches. These euphemisms are um, little catchphrases to me, often lack biblical fidelity. Yeah. And uh, again, it, it is the same issue in, in the end as what the progressives face, that um, the foundational value of attracting people um, will pull punches from God's word mm-hmm. at many times. Um, now, uh, we've gotten into a lot here, and <laughs> uh, we... We recognize that this is also a sliding scale. There are the hyper-pragmatists who will do anything in order to get people through the doors. Of mm-hmm. course, this would not be good. And then there are those gospel-preaching um, ministers who would be of a more pragmatic persuasion who I would say, if they're listening to this podcast, should be a little bit careful of the the slippery slope. So, hmm. um, so thanks so much for listening, everyone. And uh, we thank you so much for the great feedback many of you have given yeah, um, us through emails, through commenting on Facebook posts, um, even through our returning church page at, um, uh, for the CRC on Facebook. Uh, keep though, that feedback coming, and um, certainly we plan to keep uh, releasing this content for your edification. Yeah, thank you guys so much. We'll, we'll be with you next week. All right, bye.